Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the first of March. I just, I don't know, that somehow gets me kind of excited. So, I don't know, maybe stand up and take a few, like, high-need steps today. Like, you know, let's let's march. What does that look like? I'm a little bit of an onward Christian soldiers girl, so there you go. That's what marching uh, feels like to me. Today's, oh, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge, in case uh, I didn't say that already. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. You may be asking yourself, why does Carmen always start off with a passage of Scripture? Why do we start off talking about something from God's Word? Well, it's really the only place to start. Um, There's no better place to start. There's no more worthy a place to start. Um, In fact, we can't start unless we spend time each and every day um, soaking in, saturating our lives in, filling our minds with, um, seeking to understand the will of the one who gives us his word in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And so let's get into the word of God, that the word of God might get into us. Why? Why? Um, Because otherwise you're just going to be full of it. It's important to be full of grace and truth, not just full of all the things of the world. So this is how we do that. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you? Now, for those of you that know Micah 6, 8, your, your mind already like filled in the blank following this. This is actually from Deuteronomy 10, 12, different, slightly different answer to the same question. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. That's reverent or holy fear. And live in a way that pleases him. Well, that would be holiness. That would be righteousness. And love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. That sounds an awful lot like the first and greatest commandment or the Shema in the Old Testament. But the first and greatest commandment that Jesus points to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus adds to that, hey, second commandment, uh, right on the heels of the first, love your neighbor as yourself. So just just straight out reading this one verse, Deuteronomy 10, 12, we got a lot of places in Scripture that our mind leaps in terms of finding uh, complementary passages. So Deuteronomy ten twelve again. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Um, reading this verse in context would also require that we read the next verse because um, there's actually not a uh, it doesn't end here. It's just a comma. It's not a period. And so let me read verses 12 and 13 together. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. 
for your good, for your good and for God's glory. Um, I think that's uh, maybe an apt summation of this thought for the day. What does the Lord your God require of you? Well, um, live the life that he's given you, which he has given you for your good. It's what the law and the commandments are given for as well. Um, and, and all things to God's glory. I was reminded um, as I was preparing to talk with you about this passage in Deuteronomy, I was reminded of some verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 2, 3. In, in, that, in that portion um, of the opening chapter uh, of Peter's letter, um, we have these five responsibilities that come to us because we're recipients of God's grace. We have this responsibility to hope. We have a responsibility to be holy, which in the Deuteronomy passage um, is described as living in a way that pleases God. We have a responsibility to live in reverent fear. That's actually in this passage in First Peter, sort of the central or pinnacle point. It's also reflected in the Deuteronomy passage where it says, you know, God only requires that you fear the Lord your God. This responsibility to live in reverent fear. Peter goes on to talk about the responsibility to love one another fervently and the responsibility to long for the word of God. So let me just encourage you today. We live in the midst of serious days and we're called to be people of serious faith with minds that are prepared for action, sober-minded, serving God with all that we have, all that we are, all that we say, all that we do, never growing weary of doing good, remembering that the days in which we live are short. So let's live today in a way that pleases God. Let's love him with reverent fear. Let's keep his commandments. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's bring glory to God in all that we say, do, have, and are today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, we're going to dig further into the word of God as we seek to be people who live out the living word of God in the world today. Pastor Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. Joining us now, Pastor Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. You can check out what's going on at everyoneswilson.org. Good morning, Daryl. Happy March the 1st. Good morning, Carmen. It's amazing. March 1st. That feels like spring, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, you and I live in a place where it feels like spring. Not everyone listening right now is enjoying the spring-like conditions that um, we might be reveling in where we are. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's talk today, um, if we could. And I, I I enjoy unpacking the Word of God with you. So first of all, let me just say thank you for your willingness to um, continue to to talk with me and open the Word of God um, with all of us. Um. Everyone's Wilson sort of captures my imagination. I love what you're doing. Um, and I just thought it might be fun today to like talk about Everyone's Wilson and, and sort of the vision for it um, from a biblical perspective. So if I go to the Everyone's Wilson website, I see that we are called to work together to see everyone fed, everyone free, everyone safe, everyone ready, everyone whole. And so... Um, 
Like, is there scriptural reasons behind this? What's the motivation? So let's just start with from a biblical perspective. Why would we work together? Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And this, I know this is a a limited uh, segment, so we'll keep it, I'll try to keep it uh, brief, but uh, and I really appreciate you, you know, asking the question and, and highlighting this, this, um, this work and what we are um, just feel so compelled by the Lord to do. Um, but uh, we we find in the in, throughout the scriptures that God cares about people, and so whether it's widows and orphans and in uh, their distress, uh, whether it's the Jeremiah twenty nine passage as we seek the welfare of the city, uh, obviously any of these passages can be. Uh, taken out of context and not and misapplied for uh, in present day, uh, but it was clear, p- particularly for uh, the Babylonian uh, for the exiles in Babylon that you know they wanted to go back to Jerusalem and they didn't really want to be there. But the Lord said, "Hey, you're going to be here a while. So while you're here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to plant your life there, build houses, plant gardens, have kids, um, have grandkids." Uh, plant your life in the city in which you live. Um, so seek the wholeness of that city, and then uh, pray for that city. I, I think any of us can say, you know, that would that would be um, a biblical, uh, Christ-centered motivation in our own communities. Uh, we see that Jesus um, in Luke four. You know, he preached. He said, I, "I've come to preach release for the captives. Um, I, I've, I've come." He he demonstrated. A care for people because they were uh, image bearers. Uh, so uh, to love God and to love your neighbor. So th- there's um, how how is it then that we love neighbors? Uh, he doesn't say just love believers or or simply uh, love believers so that or love neighbors uh, so that they'll believe. Uh, obviously, we want to create relationships uh, and opportunities for gospel conversations, and we know that ultimately transformation happens through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, but Jesus spent a lot of time with people or cared for people who who didn't necessarily follow him and uh, who didn't care for him back, for example. So there's there's four areas or four motivations that, that we have. One is a kingdom motivation. Again, Luke 4, that, hey, in, in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of heaven has has come, and that's in Jesus and there's this wholeness that he brings, this rule, uh, unity, John uh, 17. J- Jesus prayed um, just hours before his crucifixion that that his disciples would be one because our unity becomes a megaphone for the gospel. Um, uh, peace, that's that idea from Jeremiah 29. Also, Isaiah 65, you can, uh, 17 through 25, and um, listeners can go there and say, "Hey, if God was building a city, you know what would it what would it look like? There'd be joy. There'd be absence of weeping and crying. There'd be, um, you know, uh, children would. Uh, there'd be no infant mortality, no abortion, no uh, the kids would have a chance to thrive, and so on. And you can just read through that passage and say, "Hey, if if God's building a city, what would it look like?" The other thing okay, I'd what, say, Carmen, whoa, whoa, is that wait, wait. we might have we might have missed that uh, that chapter um, reference there. So I'm sorry, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 65, 65. Okay. Technically, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no, I'm it's moving good. through it's it. So good. It's so good. Actually, let's pause right there. And when yeah. we come back, let's pick up. How's that sound? Would that be all That's right? That's great. That's perfect. So we're, we're talking with Pastor Gerald Crouch. Um, obviously you can tell, you can tell there's a passion in his heart 
um, <laughs> for for this conversation this morning. He is a man after God's own heart. He um, has saturated his life in the Word. God has called him um, not only to serve God's people in the context of local churches, but now to serve God in the wider context of of a city, or in this case, a county. And the county is called Wilson. Um, and the way that Daryl um, is is working alongside others to draw Christians together to seek the welfare of the county called Wilson. Um, and it, it, we're unpacking that this morning by using passages of scripture that animate this ministry. So what is the motivation to work together to see everyone in our community fed, free, safe, ready, and whole? We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. And this is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. (laughs) Lots of greetings on the text line uh, this morning. Jessica says, I love Daryl Crouch. Every time, um, every time I hear everyone's Wilson, I just keep thinking um, of Tom Hanks movie on the beach with the volleyball. Oh, because everyone's Wilson. Oh, the Wilson, the 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 yeah. volleyball. Uh, yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. Well, you know what, Jessica? Yeah. We're just glad something's brought to mind. There you go. We're we're glad that it's sticky. That's that's pretty much our deal. So uh, Daryl right. Crouch is here. He's a pastor. Um, he works for an organization called Everyone's Wilson. You could check it out at everyoneswilson.org. We're talking about the way in which Scripture animates um, Daryl's passion to serve his community for Christ. Um, and we're talking about why, why we would work together as Christians to see everyone fed, everyone free, everyone safe, everyone ready, and everyone whole. Um, Daryl, let's unpack those really quickly. Everyone fed, that seems pretty obvious. What, um, what does it mean to see everyone free? I mean, don't we live in a land of freedom? Yeah, so and those, that... Um... Uh, those those four priorities came really from a needs assessment in our own community uh, in 2018, and so um, we we discovered that the the four pockets of vulnerability for us was hunger, addiction, safety, and education. Mm. And so um, we want everyone fed, everyone free from addiction uh, and mental health um, bondage uh, issues. And uh, everyone's safe. That's a kid's issue, foster care, uh, trafficking, uh, all that. And then uh, everyone ready. That's an education piece. And so for us, uh, every community uh, will need to do a needs assessment and uh, asset assessment and see where the gaps are and say, you know, here's what wholeness looks like and here's what wholeness should look like. But one, one of the things that's important is that you don't find hunger where you don't find other issues. You don't find addiction where you don't find poverty issues or educational um, delays. Or so it's it's all a, a soup pot, if you will, um, in the mix. And so wholeness, uh, this idea of shalom that we find in Jeremiah twenty nine and other places in the Scripture, is um, can be translated wholeness. Uh, we, we often translate it peace, and that's accurate, but it's the idea of bringing the broken pieces back together. And so we're pursuing the wholeness of our community. We, we believe that every 
person in our community can live the life that God created them to live. And so um, those those four priorities are specific to us or they, they could be very specific in many communities, I think. But um, that came from a specific uh, effort for us to identify, hey, what what does this look like here? Yeah, this um, this idea that we would work together to see everyone whole, um, that feels to me like, a, like, I mean, if I were to use biblical language, ministry of reconciliation. Like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, as you survey the needs of your own particular community um, and assess the, uh, the assets that are available, that God's made available, put within your reach to bring to bear um, on the brokenness, the broken people, the broken relationships, the broken systems— um, the ministry of reconciliation it takes on, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say this like inaccurately, but it's, it's evan- it, it is evangelism because that's where we want everyone to end up. But it, it's this comprehensive approach to evangelism that says um, people are broken in many different ways, and relationships are broken, and systems are broken in many different places and at many different levels. And all of that is the Christian responsibility in the world today. All of that. That's just this this holistic approach. Um, We ask not just what does it take to put a person back into right relationship with God, Jesus Christ, clearly the answer to that question, but what does it then take to put that person back into right relationship with themselves, with uh, the people with whom they have broken relationships or with the community um, against which they have either broken themselves or or the community that has contributed to their brokenness. I mean, like, I just think that the ministry of reconciliation that shines through all of this and desiring to see everyone whole um, is evangelism. Yes, but it and, and I don't I don't want to misspeak when I say it's more than that, but it's more than that. It really is. You're you're right on. Uh, it is the ministry of reconciliation. This, the poverty is a relationship problem, and mm-hmm. uh, a broken relationship between us and God, and us and ourselves, us and creation, us and uh, one another. And so, um, we, we want to mobilize God's people into every domain, every dark place, because it's through personal relationships that people um, uh, see the gospel, hear the gospel. Um, have opportunity uh, to to respond to the gospel. Um, if and, and so, I want to be uh, again. I know your your attempt. You're you're sensitive to this as well. Um, but I, I want to. If if the only thing we care about is someone praying the sinner's prayer, then then that's probably not going to happen. If we don't care for them as a person. If we don't care for the fact that uh, they can't get their kid to school because uh, there's addiction issues in the home and they don't have transportation now. And if we if we just don't care about them as a neighbor, um, I'm not sure how effective we are going to be as an evangelist. And so it is the great commission. It is also the great commandment. It's also as um, Rob Kelly, uh, I think, helped us with. It's the great um, compassion. Um, I, it's not, it, we're whole people. And so, uh, G, when Jesus came, he spent a lot of time with people and he fed a lot of people and he healed people, uh, that went away unthankful. Uh, but he understood that 
that we're we're humans, and so uh, it is a ministry of reconciliation. And it um, you don't you don't find the New Testament. Paul, for example, he wrote to to the the church in, in Ephesus to in Philippi and Colossae. He he wasn't writing to one particular congregation. He was writing to the church of the city. And so they were, they had multiple congregations, multiple house churches, maybe, or small, um, local churches. But he, he understood the importance of, of how that church as a whole related to their city. Um, let me give you just one example and I'll be quick. We, I was in a meeting uh, last week with pastors, um, with, um, uh, folks in government that, that work with DCS and foster care. And so in our state, you know, we have about 8,700 kids that need fostering, and um, um, it was a long conversation. But at the end, one of the pastors looked at the this um, uh, high-ranking high administrator in our state and said said to her, uh, just on behalf of, our, of these folks in this room, about 10 or 12 pastors, we are sorry. We apologize. In other words, what he was saying is that because we haven't done our job, you've got this stuff to clean up. We've our 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 apathy because uh, our apathy in this area of our city and our state has created a train wreck and a dis a de destructive patterns in the lives of these families and these kids. And so there's movement of gospel churches into this space in an enormous, in a, in a huge way in our state, because we know the, the government is not the solution. But as long as churches say it's not our responsibility, the government has, you know, let little, little choice but to, to address it. And so, uh, and they don't do a very great job of it. And they know that. And so I think for churches to say, listen, the condition of my city and my county uh, is my responsibility. Uh, uh, things begin to change. Daryl, um, thank you, as always, for helping us to see things that sometimes we don't want to see, many things to which we often turn a blind eye in our own communities. Um, and thank you for being not only a witness, but a model um, and, a, and a partner um, and, and a joy um, in terms of just an ongoing conversation about the way we can um, be the church in a more comprehensive way um, and and how we can see the gospel as so much more comprehensive than sometimes in the past we've been tempted to view it. I genuinely appreciate it. Well, that means the world. I appreciate you. That's Pastor Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. It'd be great if you would uh, share this vision maybe with your pastor, um, that your pastor might be able to talk with other pastors and community leaders and government officials, that the church uh, right where you are might begin to um, actively impact the lives of people who are hungry um, or um, addicted or children in need of homes or the education system where you are. What does it look like to actually have a holistic ministry of reconciliation right where you are? That is uh, the vision of Everyone's Wilson, and you can check it out at everyoneswilson.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, uh, here you go. In case you didn't already know, this is America Saves Week. 
That's right. February 27th to March the 3rd is America Saves Week. I, 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 first of all, Christians, how did we let the secular world come up with such a thing and then lay claim to it? So I'm just going to go ahead and claim it back. I, I like to claim back the rainbow. Um, I like to claim back uh, all kinds of things that that the secular world says, ooh, let's grab that thing and let's make it our own. Um, I don't really think that the financial world can have, uh, uh, they can't lay claim to salvation. Well, of course, that's not what they're doing. They're saying that during this week, we should focus on the financially confident you. And, you know, yeah, I, 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 I think that it's important to every once in a while, take a look, right? Maybe even really closely at your finances. But of course, I want us to do that, not so that we can store up a bunch of stuff in barns, uh, storehouses for ourselves, but so that we can figure out, ooh, exactly how many resources has God placed within our stewardship and under or under our stewardship and within our reach um, so that we can leverage it all, right, uh, if for the advancement of his kingdom purposes in this generation. None of it is ours, by the way. It's all God's. Uh, and he has placed it under our stewardship for a reason and a purpose that is his. And so during this America Saves Week, mm-hmm, during which um, these organizations involved want you to become financially confident, I would like to uh, say to every Christian out there, hey, America Saves Week, we can work with that. We, we can work with that. Um, what does it look like for you today to be a person um, as a saved person, as a person who has been saved in Christ Jesus, what does it look like for you to take advantage of America Saves Week and as a spiritually confident individual, um, actually reach out to other people in, in the name of Jesus? Uh, you know, could you, could you commit yourself to encouraging America, Americans to be saved? I mean, the theme of America Saves Week is that you would be uh, committed to encouraging Americans to save. I I want to encourage Americans to be saved. So there you go. Uh, work work with what the world gives you today. Oh, that would be my encouragement. Next up, we got Mark Terman from the Denison Forum. They're always working with what the world is giving us and helping us bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's happening. And we're going to start off um, with an, uh, the ongoing conversation we've been having about revival in America. Ooh, that's, uh, that's sort of in the theme of America Saves Week, right? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Sherman joins us from the Denison Forum. Um, Mark, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Great to be with good you today. Mo- good morning. Let me just go ahead and confess that I have not yet read what um, Jim Denison has posted this morning related to earthquakes and LGBTQ rights. But I got to tell you, that headline, um, that's a, you know, that's an attention grabber. So if people were to go to denisonforum.org right now, um, or if they get the uh, the daily newsletter from um, from the Denison Forum, that they're gonna they're gonna be reading about that. Um, can you can you just brief us in on that, or am I asking you about something you haven't read yet either? Because that's totally well, possible. I'm it's I'm so with you. Early. I I get up early. So, I get up early, but I'm not there either. I haven't read yeah. it. I haven't seen what so, he wrote today. 
I know. So, so early um, in the day. So um, let me just go ahead and say that both um, Mark and I are going to read that a little bit later. So we're going to encourage you to do so as well. It's uh, it's the daily article at denisonforum.org. Um, and uh, maybe I'll talk about it here tomorrow um, after I've had an opportunity to read it. Let's um, let's talk about this viral revival that we've all been witnessing, some of us from afar. We've had some folks on who've actually been there. Um, I think this perspective about what it reveals about Gen Z's unique approach to faith and spirituality, really good observations um, at Denison Forum um, on this topic. Yeah, it's been fun to learn about what God is doing and to see how uh, he's moving in a fresh way uh, at Asbury and, and now at multiple campuses, some 20 plus campuses that, um, you know, through the miracle of technology have joined in that same spirit. And just again, this this generation being desperate and eager for a fresh encounter with God, realizing uh, as this Gen Z generation does that uh, some of the things that they saw in their parents and perhaps their older siblings just wasn't working uh, the way that it should be, and that they have a hunger uh, to really know God in a personal way. Many in this generation ha- will be honest with you, and they're probably more honest than most previous generations that say, you know what, I'm not a believer, or I'm an atheist, or I'm not sure, or I have questions, and they're more willing to talk about their faith and to talk about deep aspects of what it means to consider faith uh, they're more open to that than a lot of other generations that came before them. Uh, and maybe that's because they don't see any social penalty, if you will, for not saying that they have faith. And so you just got to love how genuine, how open, uh, and how willing they are to have conversations that are about the things that matter. Um, when we think about the maybe offering opportunities of leadership to very young um, very young people, people who you know clearly um, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of the Living God, and clearly um, you know have have a sense of passion and urgency for the gospel. You know, not all of our churches are sort of set up and designed to elevate young people into positions of leadership or to offer them opportunities on any kind of regular basis to bring the word, let's say. Can you just, I don't know, from a pastoral perspective, maybe take a moment to address that? Like what 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 might that positively look like in a in a local congregation to actually give ministry opportunities in in real visible ways to very young people? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity and one that uh, touched my life 40 years ago in that uh, the church I became a part of as a teenager allowed me to participate in the prime time experiences, if you will, of what the church was doing on Sunday, whether that was leading in a prayer or reading scripture. Uh, and we had an annual emphasis where we would allow students to lead the entire worship service, including the preaching aspect. I think churches can and should do that. Uh, obviously, there needs to be coaching and there needs to be mentoring and uh, there needs to be uh, some guidance. Uh, and that's, that's always a good thing to do, but looking for ways, as you said, not just on a one-time once a year type thing, but what are the things that, uh, younger generations can be a part of? Many of them are very skilled musically. Why wouldn't we put them in places where they could use those gifts? Uh, I've never seen a church that I pastored or were a part of in any way that didn't celebrate 
when multiple generations, including young generations, were very visible in in the workings of that church and particularly within its its uh, worship functions. And even, you know, from the front door, standing there greeting people, uh, when we see that with young people, all of these opportunities convey meaning and value to people who are coming, but also especially to these young people who are involved. And it's really, in many ways, very simple just to invite them, just to ask them. Many of them want to be invited into those kinds of experiences where they can learn and grow and, and express their faith as well. I saw, uh, I, I witnessed this at my uh, my own church recently. I saw a couple of young people kind of <clears throat> lingering around. We, we, like a lot of churches, I suppose, now have uniformed police officers very visible um, at the main entrances. Um, you know, that's a, obviously a deterrent um, from those who might uh, be looking for a soft target. And these young people were like, I'm not really sure like that I want that to be the the first thing that people see and so we're going to kind of stand around. <laughs> so I thought okay that's a really good way of like making yourself an obvious part of the um of the welcome team of your church and just sort of taking the initiative yourself like if your friends drove up um, is the first thing that they're going to see a uniformed police officer? Or is it going to be you standing out front while uh, waiting to greet them? So maybe just an encouragement to those of you listening today um, to press in on this point and encourage your young people um, to uh, to just take advantage of the opportunities that do exist in the local church to be a part of the very visible um, welcome effort uh, at the opening of a worship service, but then also to encourage them to seek out other young people, um, maybe families who are visiting. Like, let's not just have, you know, moms go reach out to moms. Let's have high school students reach out to high school students and um, and on and on and on. Uh, actually being a part of that welcoming, um, uh, welcoming part of the family of faith. Hey, while we're um, sort of on the topic of young people and revival, um, when we take a very brief, brief break here, um, Mark, when we come back, will you talk a little bit about what you guys are observing about the Jesus Revolution film? Oh, absolutely. Love to talk about Great. that. Great. All right. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Mark Turman from the Denison Forum. We're going to turn our attention to the Jesus Revolution film, looking back at a time when uh, the generation that's now in power were young Jesus freaks. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Mark Turham from the Denison Forum, you can uh, check out just so much great content at denisonforum.org. Yesterday's daily article um, is covers everything from the origin of the COVID-19 lab leak and that conversation and controversy to um, a really excellent conversation about 
former President Jimmy Carter and a reflection on um, comments that he uh, made in the past and the beauty of his life as a fellow believer. We're talking with Mark Terman now from the Denison Forum. And Mark, one of the things you guys have posted as well um, is this reflection on the Jesus Revolution film. So want to read us in on that? Yeah, so if you're not familiar with the film, just released last Thursday and had an incredible opening weekend, doubled the amount of uh, ticket sales that were expected. And uh, just an incredible story about uh, not not really simply about Greg Laurie or Chuck Smith or Lonnie Frisbee, who are the f- three main characters, but really about the movement that uh, happened in the late 60s, early 70s, where uh, a, a, an awakening, a revival, a, 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 an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you might call it, moved many people in many parts of the country into uh, a place of honest and real faith. Many of them came out of the hippie movement, out of uh, the drug culture, uh, using psychedelic drugs and that type of thing. Because uh, as we talk about, uh, my associate editor, Mark Legg, does a great job of, of explaining the film. They were, like many of us, looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. And when they came to the end of themselves, to borrow from the story of the prodigal son, they started looking to faith and they started looking to Jesus. And the, the film unfolds the story of how that happened in Southern California through the ministry of Chuck Smith, who basically on a dare from his teenage daughter, opened up his church and welcomed in those that were hippies and began to just share Christ with them. And many of them started turning to Christ and it became uh, a pretty significant movement and a a revival, we would certainly say, and many would claim uh, an awakening that ultimately culminated with a huge event in Dallas in uh, 1972 called uh, Expo 72, where today people, as you said, who are leading our country and are in places of great influence were touched by that movement and came to Christ and are living their life for Christ because of what happened uh, 50 years ago. The renewing of uh, of spiritual passion, the way that a young person can walk into the life of an older Christian and sort of reignite um, that or reawaken, right, that passion for Jesus, that returning to Absolutely. the first love. That's a huge part of this. And we heard a testimony earlier this week, Mark, that you will appreciate. You know, he's a, a grandpa. He's, you know, a, a, been a, a servant of Christ his um, his long life. Um, his grandson has been moved by what has happened or what is happening in terms of the movement of the spirit. And um, so this 16-year-old grandson goes to the other grandfather who's not a believer and, you know, shares the gospel. And his other grandfather rejects it. And um, and the grandson says, you know what, I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep talking to you about Jesus because I'm, I'm going to keep sharing the gospel with you because there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. And this grandpa is sharing with us, you know, this that he's like has this newfound um, awareness uh, that in his own life, he hasn't been that persistent. He hasn't kept going back to the same person and sharing the gospel again and again and again. He he hasn't regarded, you know, he hasn't regarded that as as something that he was called to do. But his grandson, who is now doing this with the other grandpa, has inspired him. And I thought to myself, that feels a whole lot like um, what people experienced uh, in in what we now call the Jesus Revolution. 
Um, and so that helps me, you know, say, hey, what's going on now does feel revival-ish because um, people who are engaged in it, uh, God is using them to awaken or reawaken passion and faith in Christians who are older than them as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where we just see the beauty of the gospel working uh, back and forth across generations. You know, obviously, so much about the Bible is about the older generation passing on their faith to their children and your gran- and their grandchildren, as you mentioned. But it's also about what we might call reverse mentoring, where the older generations are open to the fresh things that God is doing in those that are younger than them, and to see that happening, to be listening and open to how God is moving among your children or among your grandchildren, among generations that at times may discourage you or frustrate you, but to see that God may be doing something fresh and new, and it may not look like it looked in your younger days. It may not look like something you're comfortable with right now. Uh, certainly, the movie reveals that a big part of that was music style, right? And and mm-hmm. still today, we sit, we tend to have that problem because we all like the music that we had in high school, and the next generation has their own music. And sometimes that just becomes an unnecessary battleground along with a a lot of other things, but God doesn't have to do it in each generation the same way. He he wants to do it in a fresh way, and he can teach us new things. No matter how long we have known Christ, no matter how long we have walked in faith, there's always something new for us to learn. And when we see him stirring in the generations behind us, why wouldn't we want to celebrate that? Why wouldn't we want to, to facilitate that and to encourage that in every way that we can even if it's not exactly the way God has moved in our life or something that we're completely familiar with. The God, God has a, a way of moving in a fresh way every day and in every generation. Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. You you hear it and you sense it and you experience it, but you don't know where it came from. God can do whatever he wants to do in his way and by his timetable, and we need to be open to that. Let's uh, let's talk for a minute about Tim Tebow. Um, I'm a Florida Gator, so I uh, not only know who he is, I love him um, and appreciate him. He's a missionary kid, and he is a person who continues to be on a mission. Talk about Tim Tebow's night to shine. Yeah, Tim Tebow is just uh, an incredible figure that has uh, continued to be resilient. And as you mentioned a moment ago, just continues to come back and back to our whole culture, really. To, to remind us about faith and to remind us about the power and goodness of God. His night to shine is focused on those that have special needs and celebrating them, honoring them, valuing them for uh, who they are as people uh, carrying the image of God in their life. And it's just a beautiful testimony that we're not valuable based on what we have or who we are or what we can produce. We are valuable because we are made in the image of God. And Tim Tebow's own story illustrates that, where uh, he almost didn't get the opportunity to live because his mother had complications during uh, her pregnancy and delivery of him. The doctor uh, later described his birth as an absolute miracle, perhaps the biggest miracle he'd ever seen in his practice, but he was right there at the very edge of not having the opportunity to live if the the doctor's recommendation had been taken by his mother. And I just love the way that this article and the story of what Tim Tebow is doing 
reminds us that we are all valuable in God's eyes simply because we have the breath of God in our lungs, and that makes us valuable. That gives us an identity that we can claim and hold on to and build our life on, that it's not about how much you can acquire. It's not about how much success you have. It's not about you know how great your skills are. Those are all good things, and we thank God for them but we are all valuable simply because we are made in his image and have his spirit in us. I just, uh, I love the, um, the testimony of the life of this person and I appreciate the way God is using him and I appreciate um, his faithfulness. And I think we ought to be praying for him and his family. So thank you for bringing this portion of Tim Tebow's story to the fore. You guys can read more about it um, at denisonforum.org. I'll put all the links in the show notes today. Um, Mark, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Carmen. And I hope you have a great day and all your listeners as well. Likewise, likewise. That's Mark Terman. You can find him at denisonforum.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, here's a little good news for you. Uh, A beacon of hope, a beacon of hope. That is uh, what people are testifying to in terms of the lighthouse on Sanibel Island being relit five months after Hurricane Ian uh, savaged the area. So uh, you will remember we've been talking about the damage done by Hurricane Ian. We've had pastors on to talk about their experience and what's happening with churches in the in the area Um, So once the locals spotted the Sanibel Lighthouse from the mainland, um, it became this this, um, image of resilience, right? It was missing a leg, but it was still standing. Uh, And so we probably feel like that sometimes. We feel like um, maybe our light has been snuffed out or we're missing a leg, but we're still standing. If we're standing on the promises of God, if we're standing on... The firm foundation of Jesus Christ all around us is shifting sand, much like the land beneath the lighthouse on Sanibel Island. But you know what? The light shines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.